Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. I've got The Old Rush, Marketing for Gold in the Age of Aging. (laughs) I got Peter Hubble on the line here today. Peter, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure. For you, what was the motivation for writing the book? Well, I've been in the uh, advertising business uh, for many years, Bob, working at some of the, the larger uh, global agencies. And, you know, it, it, as the world of, of marketing and advertising has gotten increasingly fragmented, it's it's become harder uh, to reach consumers with a truly uh, differentiated message. And as the world got more specialized, um, it occurred to me that um, you know we had quite an opportunity here with global aging and the fact that Madison Avenue and Hollywood really, in many respects, have their head in their sand in terms of, of ignoring uh, the realities of the modern demographics. So the, the impetus behind the gold rush was to simply begin to evangelize and create awareness around global aging, um, which uh, is in many respects uh, the most potent trend in the world with its ability to affect human health, welfare, and public policy decisions. So it was really the desire to sort of get to the smart marketers, um, let them know that the opportunity uh, was here, and to offer some uh, counsel, wisdom, and insight to help them get on the journey. Well, I know with the, with the boomers um, basically all cashing in their chips uh, over the next, I would say, five to ten years, it's going to be crazy, crazy busy for people that understand what's really going on. And, you know, a, a couple of books that we've had on the show, they talked about relevance. And, and really what you're talking about is is the relevance um, that these people aren't receiving. I mean, people aren't communicating uh, the right way. Uh, they're not communicating in through the right form. So my question is, how do you see the advantage? Yeah, you know, you know, the purpose of the of the book, uh, just to touch on that again for a second, was was to try to give marketers the benefit of a very potent analogy. And and you know, the nature of marketing is such that we're always looking out into the future. We're looking to uh, anticipate the next trend, to be on the cutting edge, and it's that predisposition that has us never looking back for precedent in history. And it seemed to me that, you know, here was the gold rush, which um, uh, presented a, the prospect of, of incredible wealth to those um, who had the entrepreneurial spirit and the courage to go where nobody had gone before and to do what nobody had done. And so you have to remember um, that um, uh, I call the, the original 49ers the original first movers because they literally, you know, dropped dropped the, uh, the plow on their farm in New England, made a perilous journey uh, to get out to San Francisco, which was a very small town at the time, um, uh, didn't have any experience prospecting for gold, didn't know where to look for it, didn't know how to get it out of the ground, but that lack of knowledge did not deter them because the prospect of wealth was so great. And I, I think in many respects, that's what we're talking about here with global aging. Um, you know, the next emerging market is, uh, is demographic, not geographic. And so uh, I think the the first message to marketers is before we even talk about how to effectively communicate uh, to this audience, it's commit yourself, right? Start on the journey um, and you'll figure it out along the way. And, um, you know, when it does come to the task of, of, um, you know, getting gold out of the ground, the miners increasingly, as their learning curve got better, they got more and more innovative, but they, they essentially borrowed from primitive things that already existed, like the, the rocker was a device that mimicked the baby's cradle and it helped them rock the gravel um, in the water and get the gold out of it. And so 
um, we are encouraging marketers to really draw on their own instincts and what they know about consumers. And for the for the boomers to get to get to the the get the answer to your question, the key way to communicate effectively to them and to create relevance. Um, is to understand uh, their true need states and to communicate to them uh, authentically. Mm. Being boomers, they're they're definitely opinionated. <laughs> you, you know, I was on a, a panel discussion at a senior living conference last week, and we had this whole conversation about: you know, are they opinionated? Are they narcissistic? Are they self-oriented? And you know, the, the way that I like to frame that uh, positively is. If you're marketing to them, you have to remember that the boomers, uh, by sheer virtue of their age, have been on the receiving end of more marketing than any other cohort that's out there. That doesn't mean that they're cynical about the messages you're putting out there, but it does mean that they're pretty savvy and sophisticated when it comes to, to recognizing salesmanship. And so I think you you have to be authentic. You have to, you know, the ultimate end state in any advertising is not just to communicate what your product offers, but to demonstrate that you understand, respect, and love the consumer. And and when you get that authenticity right with this audience, because they have such wealth to spend and because they, they love brands that love them, you're going to win. Well, also, I think, too, they have very, very strong community in the sense that they all relate to each other. And if you can hit one, you're definitely going to get a very strong word-of-mouth wave happening. Absolutely, and and again, uh, it's almost as though you were at this panel discussion, Bob. Because <laughs> one of the uh, the points was that if um, if you can create a happy boomer customer, all right, they are your biggest advocate. They are still um, out there advocating through conversation, right? The the old adage in our business, which is the the most effective medium that's out there today, was the very first one that ever existed, which is word of mouth. Um, you know, the, the the boomers do talk. They do congregate. It's the other conversation we had about, you know, um, how they uh, congregate with others and communicate and share in 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 a physical way, not just in a virtual way. So it's um, you know, all the more reason, uh, you know, their wealth, their love of brands, um, and their um, uh, built-in ability to advocate uh, for um, brands that uh, deliver what they promise. Now, I just want to backpedal here a little bit because, you know, for some people that are listening, they might be, okay, guys, boomers, I've heard that word. Let's define that and let's put an age age to that group, too, because um, I think there's a lot of misconception. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that uh, we are adamant about, Bob, is that, um, you know, uh, we don't use numbers because we don't believe that um, age is numerical. Um, age is about spirit. And, and if you look at... Uh, you know, uh, contemporary um, uh, marketing philosophy with respect to targeting is essentially over the, the, the course of marketing's history. And remember that the marketing really came into its own when the first boomer turned 18 in 1964 and, and Madison Avenue found um, meaning in their magnitude. You know, the, the, um, uh, you essentially, as a, as a modern marketer, you would either target age or stage. So you'd say 18 to 49 is where all the volume is. And, um, you know, we're going to mass market to that, or we're going to say, I want to target a young man who's shaving for the first time or a mother who's, who's having her first baby or a family who's establishing a household and adopting, you know, laundry care habits, et cetera. And what we say is, is when it comes to the boomers, there's a third model that you need to embrace, which is uh, generational marketing. Um, and what generational marketing is about is understanding, uh, the boomers enduring values that were formed during their formative years and understanding 
those values because they endure irrespective of age or stage. And at the end of the day, your demographic characteristics don't define um, which brands you choose and use. Um, it's your, your values, your personal set of beliefs about the way your life should be led and the role of brands in it. And uh, it's remarkable that, that, you know, modern marketing theory hasn't really embraced values, but, you know, the, uh, we segment the boomers based on their values and, uh, we embrace topics like uh, their optimism, right? One of the, the hallmark qualities of this generation is their optimism, which influences in turn their philosophies about aging and their quality of life, which is why, you know, you know, 70 is the new 50, et cetera. Well, they're definitely uh, spry for their age, as they say. You know, I'm, it's interesting because as we're talking, I'm realizing I'm a little age biased here. I think maybe that's like you're mentioning with a lot of the marketers out there, they don't, they're not really getting fundamentally how to be relevant and how to be authentic to this group because you can't just throw the same old words and the same old vocabulary that you'd use in these other demographics that are younger and stuff. They don't want to hear that stuff. They've been hearing it their whole lives and now they need a completely new core message and um, they have to really feel that the person that's communicating to them is part of their pack. Yeah, and it's, it's um, you know, the... There's a the question I get asked most often um, in situations like this, Bob, is um, if the facts are so obvious, right? In the U.S., we know that boomers control 70% of disposable income, okay, uh, there, and uh, yet less than 5% of advertising targets them. So if this is so obvious, you know, why aren't we seeing um, more progress towards marketing to, in the age of aging? And uh, the response I offer most is that um, there's too much inertia in the current marketing model around marketing to 18 to 49. So again, let's learn from history, let's learn from precedent. When the first of the boomers turned 18 in 1964, you had the largest generation in the history of the country start to move straight into the crosshairs of the 18 to 49 market. They flowed through that for 30 years, right? I, this is the time when the two martini became the three martini lunch and, and we had Mad Men on Madison Avenue because all you had to do was, was, was show up and you had growth built into the expansion of your cohort. Um, and now, of course, 2014 is the year that the last of the baby boomers have turned 50 and have officially, in their entirety, exited the most popular marketing cohort um, in the business. So for the last 30 years, we've seen all of the, the Madison Avenue's uh, processes, philosophies, techniques, tools, etc., all optimized around 18 to 49 because the boomers were present in that cohort. So now you're a 27-year-old marketer um, uh, grappling with the fact that the demographic is not as rich as it was, right? It's well-documented well that Millennials aren't consuming um, at the rate that the boomers are. They're not buying cars. They're not establishing households. So we, we've got a, um, uh, a lag effect uh, in the boomers having left the power cohort and the millennials not showing up uh, in a robust way. And so I think that, that that inertia around the current marketing model of 18 to 49 is getting in the way. And there's, there's also at the same time, Bob, there's a fundamental bias to believe that a younger consumer is more valuable than an older consumer because they have more years of their life remaining. And it's simply not true. I'm also curious that, you know, a lot of, especially men, um, even if they're 50 or something, they still think they're 18 or 23 or 24. Does that 
psychological headspace still count as far as communication or is it that the message is okay and the product's okay it's just being represented visually in an incorrect way i don't think you know the, the vast majority of work out there today is not representing this generation um and the work that does is is taking the philosophy that something is broken about these older people and we're here to fix it and it's the you know the the uh these people don't want to be told that they're old <laughs> you know, I was um, interviewed for a, a Women's Wear Daily a feature piece um, earlier this year, and you know, um, I said they're not looking for the uh, fountain of youth because they don't believe they're old. Um, so, you know, the average boomer, when asked to define old age, says 72. Um, average life expectancy in this country is 79. So that means that the typical boomer doesn't believe they're going to be old until seven years before they die. So this is this is you know at, at, paradoxically as this country ages, it's actually getting younger, because the uh, the number of people um, uh, who are you know 50 plus in the population as a percentage of the total are growing, and they philosophically and spiritually believe that they are younger than anybody uh, of their age who has lived before them. So it is it is uh, uh, when I talk about the age of aging. Um, it is a new age, and as marketers, you really need to understand it because there's a lot of irrationality being brought uh, to uh, the self-introspection around aging. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the way we communicate them now, it's, it's a little on the condescending side, and it's actually you, what you're getting is negative branding uh, experiences happening. Exactly. I want to dig in a little bit about the book now because you have it uh, broken up into three sections. You've got part one, which is a coming of age. Then you've got uh, part two, which is lessons from the first gold rush, and then part three, marketing for gold in the age of aging. Can somebody jump around in this book and just jump to the third section, maybe chapter 17, enduring mutual respect or something like that? Or should they kind of read it from the front? Can they get away with jumping around? Well, you know, it's um, I've, I've gotten different reactions from different readers. Um, you know, uh, most people have, have said, uh, I was expecting a very heavy business book, and I really enjoyed um, how you've woven in uh, stories of your personal life, stories of a rich career spent in advertising, and, of course, the historical aspects of the, the gold rush itself, because everybody associates the gold rush with 1849, but know very little about some of the, the great brands and businesses that were formed as a result of it. So, again, everybody's getting uh, something different out of it, um, uh, depending on, on uh, what they do for a living and why they read. But... Um, you know, just just to take the um, the mutual respect one that that you just mentioned. You know that you know uh, I was at a, a conference recently, and I um, as I typically do, I asked for a show of hands around uh, how many people in the room are boomers, born between 1946 and 64. And as is always the result, about 65% of the hands go up. I said, great, you are, you know, uh, you have uh, more disposable income than any other generation. Uh, you love uh, brands. Uh, you're, you're living active lives longer than anybody before you. How many of you feel that vast majority of advertising out there, um, you, know, uh, you know, loves you, delights you, and shows you um, trust and respect? And I couldn't get a, a single hand to stay up. 
And I said, okay, I, I granted I'm in the advertising business. I, um, you know, uh, put a lot of stock in, in what we do for a living. So that's just hard, hard question. So let's forget about whether the advertising out there today delights you or not. It, give me a show of hands for the fact that at least the advertising that you're looking at there today respects you on some basic level. Just get a show of hands for advertising out there today respects you. I could not get a single hand to go back up. And you say, wow, that's a big miss. You've got a cross-section of the most valuable generation in the history of marketing, and not a single person says the work out there respects them. So, you know, we, we know um, uh, from our own relationships in life um, that um, uh, relations, quality relationships are a function of a foundation of mutual trust and respect. And that's the same for relationships that people have with brands. You're going to be loyal to a brand over the course of a lifetime for the same reason that you're loyal to your uh, spouse or partner. Um, and for marketers to be missing on that fundamental requirement with the wealthiest, most important demographic in marketing today um, uh, is a reason to write another book. Uh, so, um, you know, there, there, there's just, uh, you know, one example for the reader who wants to pop around that, that there's some richness in there. Um, there's another section, um, uh, which speaks to um, uh, loyalty. And you hear a lot of people today saying, you know, with high divorce rates and relationships between employers and employees not being what they used to be, that loyalty is dead, right? We've all heard that, Bob. And um, and and if that's the case, you know, and, and um, you know, the, the water level is rising, right? You typically have to climb the ladder higher to, to stay above the rising water. And I offer uh, philosophically in that chapter of the book that we need as marketers to think through a, a state of relationship between brands and consumers um, that lives above loyalty. And I believe that that state is, is brand belonging, that when you feel as though you actually belong to a brand, you are one with that brand and you benefit from, from that experience in some richer, deeper way than somebody who doesn't belong and um, it, it gets into a more of a value-based relationship between brands and consumers versus loyalty was simply a measure of transactions. And so you have, you know, uh, things like American Express, Member Since. Mine says Member Since 1981. I'm very proud of that. Um, Delta Airlines, uh, uh, hello, Mr. Hubble, welcome back. Thanks for your loyalty. And uh, Harley-Davidson, right, uh, taking um, brand loyalty uh, beyond belonging to to being part of an ethos, so uh, that's another example of a chapter that whether you are uh, reading the book to understand how to effectively market to aging, or just reading the book to be smarter about how you do business, um, you know, there's some interesting uh, new to the world thinking available to you. You know, I was just thinking the way we we're talking. It's almost like if you were a, a, a smart agency, you would actually have a, a boomer division and basically fill that division full of, you know, astute older people uh, that had been in the business a long time, knew the game, knew how to play it, and then just let them communicate to their target demographic, which would be the boomers, and not worry about having a bunch of youngsters running around scratching their heads trying to decode the complexity of, of people that are way more mature. 
Well, one would think. And, uh, you know, I um, had a wonderful uh, job as a member of the global board of Saatchi and Saatchi, running one of their top global businesses with, with great brands. And I walked away from it uh, to pursue, you know, uh, the notion of Boom Agers, which is an agency dedicated to global aging and the uh, baby boom generation, which, of course, is not just limited to the United States. We, we saw baby booms across the, the world after World War II. But the the thing that kept me up at night before I launched the company was, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the world, so why haven't the agencies built a department within the agency uh, that would have this astute understanding of the uh, cohort uh, that you mentioned? Um, and, you know, uh, racked my brain over that, and at the end of the day, um, you know, Madison Avenue worships at the altar of youth. Well, there's a belief that creativity is the province of youth and that, that older people aren't as capable of coming up with creative ideas. And oh, by the way, um, uh, those old people uh, make our agency look old and gray and stale and we want to be young and hip. So it's a lot easier for them to ignore the, this, the, you know, the value that is in this and try to continue to walk down this, this path of youth. And, you know, the, Average age of a CEO in this country is 57 years old, right? So you've got most of these these Fortune 500 companies are publicly held with uh, incredible accountability to the shareholders, and they're bringing people in who are, you know, the average is 57. So clearly you have, you have people uh, well north of that as well. And the reason that these positions are held by older people is that they have the uh, essential experience of running uh, big brands and businesses. And so, you know, uh, wisdom is something I talk about uh, in the book and, and talk about often outside of the book, which is wisdom is the combination of intelligence plus experience. So you can have a lot of uh, young, really super intelligent people in a company, uh, but through no fault of their own, simply by virtue of their age, they lack experience. Um, and so, um, uh, when we hire uh, older uh, creative people um, because they understand uh, people of their own age, we're also hiring the most experienced people in the advertising business who their agencies have cast out of the, the mix years before because their hair color uh, uh, failed to meet the casting standards. Yeah, it's it's uh, ironically very true. It is a young man's game, as they say, but um, I think we're all young at heart if we're in the agency business. It's, uh, you know... I it's it's about the project, and uh, yep. if you've got the right project and you've got the right creative and and you've got the right account manager, you can do marvelous stuff and has nothing to do really with age. Now a lot of times, uh, what you you end up doing is you come up with a great idea and then you actually have to uh, send it down to the art department, which is full of a bunch of young people, and a lot of times they don't understand what they're trying to create. So. Yeah, creating a division within an agency might be the way to go, but it would have to be a complete separate division or, like you're saying, starting at a completely separate agency that has, you know, the youngest person in, in the company would be like 35 or 40. The, you know, the other epiphany, and, and I always, uh, a self-deprecating way, say, why did it take me 30 years in business to have uh, the epiphany that I could have had at a younger age? But the epiphany, Bob, is that um, clients hire experts, you know, and um, everybody likes to think that their firm is, a, you know, great. We've been doing great work for years and we're blue chip and you should hire us because we do quality work. 
But the reality is the only reason clients go outside of their own uh, organization to hire external partners is because they're capable of doing something that can't be done internally. Um, and I think if the majority of agencies out there today who ironically are in the business of differentiating their clients' products and services, if they looked in the mirror, they failed to really differentiate themselves or offer true expertise. The expertise in today's um, marketing space um, are coming from uh, agencies that have either attached themselves to a uh, emerging technology, um, uh, an emerging digital media, right, where there's no learning curve yet or knowledge, right? Everybody's, I always joke that, you know, the world got very complex overnight that I, I used to be able to order a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts without speaking a second language. So I go into Starbucks and I, I can't even pronounce these things, right? Well, similar in, in the world of digital where the acronyms of SEO and everything else are starting to creep into our, our um, lexicon. So the, um, I think the, the key thing to remember for anybody in any type of business is you're going to command a superior value for your services if the client uh, perceives you as a true expert. And, uh, you know, you start carving something off and you put your older people down in the corner on the second floor so that you can say, we have that capability. It's not core. It's, and if it's not core, it's, it's probably uh, not going to offer the expertise that the smart clients want. And if I haven't said this already, the, the whole notion of the book um, is that the, the smart people are going to get to the money first. The, the smart clients are going to be the one that figure out that um, there's a first mover advantage in marketing to the aging consumer before their competitors catch up. There wasn't a single prospector in the gold rush that went into town at night and told everybody where their gold was, right? So, um, you know, there's, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing it because of our unique vantage point with the clients that are coming to us. And uh, they're all asking us not to let anybody else know where the gold is because they want to get there first. And uh, that, is, that is the essence of emerging um, market growth, right? All the emerging markets are fundamentally based on doing business where nobody else is doing business. Because if you can get into this country before the other companies do and you can build your factories, you're going to get a head start. And that's the way that marketers need to think as, as, as categories get more and more mature today and it gets harder and harder to carve out a position in the marketplace. It's getting more and more complex to deliver audiences with scale. With all of this going on, uh, you know, behind everybody's back is this, you know, um, deep, deep secret that shouldn't be a secret, which is the world is getting older um, and these people are living longer lives than anybody before them. They have money, passion, and they want to be loved, respected, and spoken to in an authentic way. You know, it, it, uh, saying that, it reminds me of the book uh, Blue Water. Basically, uh, if, you, if you're going to get into an industry or get into, in, into a market, uh, don't go into a market where there's a bunch of sharks already existing. See if you can find yourself a nice blue lagoon and be the only shark in the lagoon. Um, and I found that the only problem with that book is great. Show me that lagoon, and you have just shown everybody here is this beautiful lagoon with basically no sharks in it. That's um, very familiar with that theory and thinking, uh, blue ocean, and and it's uh, plays to how we we built our agency, not with respect to what we offer to clients, but just the culture that we offer to our people. We want, you know, um, many of our people have come from other. Uh, agencies and companies where, to use my parlance, they were swimming in seaweed, right? And there's nothing that's exhausting and it's not enjoyable. And what everybody wants is, is to your point, Bob, is to be swimming in the blue water and breathing real oxygen. 
And when you can take a person and simply, you know, um, take them out of one body of water and put them in another body of water, that same person is suddenly instantly capable of, of generating a more creative and productive outcome. You know, you did mention your, your, your epiphany, but I always ask this for all the writers, is when you were writing the book, for you, what was the aha moment? The aha moment was um, uh, when I was um, speaking with a friend of mine um, uh, who held a high position at one of the agency holding companies. He said, you know, it used to be in business that uh, the imperative was uh, get results. And then Wall Street said, that's not good enough anymore. We want to see sustained results. So consistency of, of profitability and growth over time was what the street demanded. Now the street is in a place where they're saying, we want fast growth. And that's what's, what's fueled the expansion into you know, the brick markets and everything else, because again, fast growth comes from emerging markets, whether the emerging markets are industries or geographic, but it's, it's try, to, try to get into these areas first. And that's when I realized that what we were doing was fundamentally a fast growth space for clients. Um, and I, I happened to be reading, um, I'm a great fan of Michener's, and I happened to be reading uh, Alaska, uh, about the, uh, the gold rush in Alaska, and it all sort of uh, came together for me as the old rush. You know, in the book, he's got so many great stories. Do you have a favorite? Well, there's, there's one chapter um, in the third part, Bob, called um, uh, Perfumer Hope, Knowing What You're Really Selling. And, um, you know, uh, it's based on that great um, uh, story, a quip from uh, Peter Revson, who once said that in the factories I bottle perfume and in the department stores I sell hope. And it's just a wonderful uh, saying. And, and, you know, when you are talking with clients who are, you know, in the insurance business or... Um, you know, uh, in the um, you know, toothpaste business or something, and you say, what business are you in? They say, well, we sell insurance. And, and uh, in the agency world, we'd like to always challenge that and say, you know, yes, you sell insurance, but that might not be, um, you know, uh, why people come back to you time and time again. I, I uh, for 15 years running, I've been um, uh, taking my son down to Quail Hunt in Georgia and I say that um, the reason we went down there 15 years ago was to go quail hunting. The reason we've gone back 14 times was because of their hospitality. And, and that's the way, when I say, you know, know what you're really selling, it's, it's knowing that hospitality is the lever that you need to pull uh, to motivate people and so forth. And, uh, you know, with the boomers, you, you really have to uh, get a sense of, you know, Am I selling toothpaste or am I selling, you know, healthy smiles? Um, and uh, this gets back to what we said earlier, um, which is the boomers have been on the receiving end of so much advertising over the years that uh, they're pretty savvy um, and uh, they've tried a lot of different brands. So uh, the notion of trying to reframe um, what it is you're selling, again, it's this, uh, the uh, the um, you know, the metaphor of reframing means simply that it's the same picture, but when you put a different frame on it, it creates the appearance of it being a different picture. Um, and so reframing becomes um, an essential tool for rethinking um, brands in the age of aging um, when the consumer's needs have changed. So that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a great chapter. 
Yeah, you know, listening to that, I just had this uh, this thought because you know you see it in in movies and stuff like that. What happens when some magical scientist uh, basically stops the aging process, or, or we we end up having a lifespan of up to one hundred and fifty years, which is not too far fetched? Do you think this is a, a growth market that's got legs that could actually go on for a long, long, long time? For sure. I mean, you've got. Um you know, we've added, uh, here in the United States, we've added 30 years to life expectancy in the last century. If you look at the rate we're trending through 14 years in the 21st century, we're already adding to longevity at the rate of 20 um, uh, years for the century, which is just remarkable to your point. I mean, but it's, I think what you, you people really need to begin to understand is not just what's going on here um, in the United States, but you take uh, China, where you have a population of 200 million people who are age 50 and over, right? And you look ahead in the year 2050, that a quarter of that country's population is going to be over the age of 65. I mean, this this has massive implications for how the um, workspace needs to be reoriented uh, to make it uh, more tolerant of, of older workers, uh, tax structures, um, health and wellness. Um, uh, again, I was just at a conference on senior living. Um, uh, this is a, a generation that says, um, I want to age in place. I don't want to go somewhere else like I sent you know, my parents to, to a home. I want to age in place. And so you've got companies like Walgreens and so forth that are, their whole mantra is don't wait for the consumer to come to you, go to them. You know, so, so now, you know, we've come full circle. The notion of a doctor doing, um, you know, home calls. Uh, now these, these healthcare providers are setting up the ability to administer uh, care in the home. So we're just, uh, you know, we could spend the next two hours, Bob, talking about um, the implications of the longevity economy. But it's, um, it's a fascinating uh, topic. It's incomprehensible to think that people can be uh, living as long as this and living a rich lives, but the data would say it's going to happen. You know, it is interesting, and I think the fundamental problem is that there are just not enough businesses out there and companies that are producing products specifically targeted to this group. And I, I remember um, a book review do, uh, did a long time ago, and it was about uh, design and the design of products. And the point that really struck me, he says, people are starting to design products for people that have uh, less strength for, for, the, for the older group, people that have arthritis and stuff, and like bottle caps that are bigger so it's easier to to, to hold and potato peelers that have a bigger, more squishy handle, it's easier to hold. And what they found shocking was everybody loved these products because they were just easier to use. So the utilitarianism of the products, they looked great, but they just worked and they were more comfortable, even with young people. And for them, that was a huge epiphany for the manufacturing industry and the design of product industry. It's like, wow, the things that help people that are a little bit older, a little bit frailer, actually are a, a big advantage to everybody all the way down to younger people. Yeah, and the, the OXO story is a great story. And actually, you know, was the uh, owner of the company, his wife had arthritis, so he, he had a, an actual need to design something that had a larger handle, was more comfortable for her, and then design uh, became the the driver of the uh, widespread appeal of it. But I think that the, the difference with that, Bob, and the reason you know, you and I don't have examples like OXO that just roll off our tongue is 
the genesis of that idea was the need to service uh, a need associated with a person of age. Um, and, um, you know, it's what the book tries to get at when it says, put the plow down and start heading west to find gold. If you don't start the journey, you'll never find any gold. And, and what's happening today is people are saying the equivalent would be, right, if the gold rush were to take place today in, in the marketing departments of all of these companies, the people would say, well, I know there's gold out there and there's a lot of money to be made, but I don't really know how to do that, so I think I'm just going to stay home, right? It took courage, it took initiative, and it took innovation. Innovation is one of these words that we say, oh, well, innovation is that's design and that's all the modern stuff we do. No. Innovation was... Now that I'm out here, and now that I believe there's gold under my feet where I'm standing, how am I going to harness the power of this river? How am I going to convert a tree into a, a rocker to be able to take advantage of the inherent properties of gold, which make it heavier than gravel? How do I create something that's going to allow me to get the gold out of the ground? And they figured it out. But they wouldn't have figured it out if they didn't put the plow down and make the journey towards growth. Mm -hmm. You said something that really struck a chord for me when you used the word need. And I think a lot of products that are produced today aren't produced with that headspace in mind. And I think that's why what made Steve Jobs so amazing with his product. In his head, he approached product design and the functionality and he would drive his team nuts. I mean, he was a real hard taskmaster because what he had in his head, nobody had even thought of yet. So that's what his genius was. I think what you need in, in agencies that are like this are people like Steve that say, I get what it's like to be this age. Really, one of the things uh, I think uh, that needs to get done is for that agency is to actually go to manufacturer and say, hey, would you guys like to make a lot of money? Because we're ready to sell it to the demographic that's willing to buy and has money. We just need you guys to understand that they need a different type of product. Nobody's doing that. No, nobody's doing that. And I think the... Um it's a difference between the why and the how. I think because they don't know how to do it because they've never done it before, they're not asking the question of why. Why should you know? Should we do this? Um, so we've got to try to we've got to try to flip that. I mean, um, again, uh, it's very easy. But when I see the companies out there when they first come to us um, because they've tried to do some things and they haven't succeeded and they realize they need expertise. It's because they, they sort of take that blunt approach and, they, and that uh, old people are broken and uh, we'll sell stuff to fix them. So we'll sell arthritis uh, medication and we'll sell pills and we'll make the buttons on that. My favorite one, right? We'll make the buttons on the phone bigger so they can see them. Um, and of course, you know, the old people don't want to buy the big button phone because you're telling me I'm old. Young people don't want to buy it because it's for old people. And so at the end of the day, you know, nobody took it home. Um, and so, um, you know, we've, we've really got to figure out the unspoken needs. You look at the big power trends with boomers, right? Begins any discussion I have with an audience begins with, okay, so you want to try to take advantage of this, um, emerging market called, uh, the age of aging, right? How are you defining aging? Well, nobody can define it. Uh, the best definition I've heard is um, uh, comes out of MIT's Age Lab, which is aging is the future of living. So, so there's an epiphany, right? The the people who are aging don't believe they're aging. 
they're focusing on the future of their lives. What an exciting time. I have all this experience. I'm brimming with, with wisdom and confidence. Uh, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to reimagine myself. And, and um, you know, there's joy in aging. You say that to a young person. What do you mean there's joy in aging? You're running out of years. You're dying. How could there be joy? And, um, you know, every single boomer believes they're living the best years of their life, uh, present company included. So you've got you've to get inside that mentality. And then, you know, um, you know, take Apple as a, for instance, I mean, Apple's genius bar, the genius behind the genius bar. If you ever go sit at a genius bar, you know, on a Friday afternoon and just, which I do often, um, and just listen to what's going on in there. It's just sort of trying to get data points. So uh, the, um, Apple bar, the grand central station, the genius bar, the, uh, you know, 60, 70% of the people visiting are boomers. Um, and 60, 70% of the reason they're there um, is because uh, something's not sinking or working and so forth. And those conversations all begin with, I know this is a stupid question, but but Apple's not saying, uh, hey, you Luddites, bring us your dumb questions. Apple is saying, um, hey, we have geniuses standing by to help you be a genius too. And it's, it's just the, the, the subtle art of positioning and saying, you know, come here to get even smarter than you are. Um, and technology is this virtual fountain of youth for um, boomers, not because they're trying to turn back the clock. That's another big misconception. Boomers wish they're younger. No, I don't wish I was younger. Well, I don't want to be younger. I'm not, these are the best years of my life. Uh, it was hard being young. <laughs> it's easy being uh, my age because I've learned a lot through life and uh, you know I know what I need to know and I'm, I'm confident. But the technology um, helps them stay current. That's what they're looking for. I don't want, certainly don't want to be older. I told you I don't want to be younger. I want to be current. And technology and being on Facebook and Yahoo and, and so on helps them feel connected and vital and current, especially with their children. You have 92% of Gen Y say their boomer parents are their best friends. It's astounding that I never would. I loved my father dearly. I never would have described my father as my best friend. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, with that note, I'm going to say The Old Rush, Marketing for Gold in an Age of Aging. I've had Peter on the line, and you know what? I am so excited, and I think you should be out there, all my listening audience. Uh, pick up this book, start studying this, because really, it is amazing. Thanks very much for having me. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week. <laughs>